Hello there and welcome to tonight's show. It is six o'clock. On the show tonight we have a wild ride with brothers Jake and Alward with a little help from Ray. We had a really long walk with brothers Craig and Charlie and we are not going to take any you-know-what from anyone with Buford. And not forgetting our adopted ward Alveston, we have a patient's choice that will have you singing in the shower. Welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. Well, here we are again then. Hello there, you are listening to Sunshine Radio at St Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. I'm Sharon and I'll be your host tonight for the next hour, but I'm not alone. Oh no. In the studio with me tonight are Shawnee. Hiya. And Tosin. Good evening. Now Tosin's our usual host, but he's letting me drive once again this evening. Yes. He's a bit brave. Yes, I am very magnanimous. Magnanimous <laughs> and generous. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to treat me well. Okay. Well, we have, honestly, to explain our format um, and what we're going to be talking about this evening, we cast our minds back to a golden age of cinema. Now, this is a time when films were made before 1980. We'll be looking at a bona fide classic. That's a film that has stood the test of time. That we can look at and say, yeah, that you can see it again and again, and age doesn't dim its glory. And we have a patient's choice. This is a film chosen by one of our pals who are in Alveston Ward. And they, it's a film that they have enjoyed and, and you know, revisited time and time again. And then we're going to look at one of those films that you may have missed, a hidden gem, that has been undeservedly forgotten. And finally, we'll be looking at an exception to the rule. That is a film made after 1980, but we feel is a film that will stand the test of time and be worth talking about in another 30 years. But our first film tonight was chosen by Tozin and is one of his bona fide classics. Um, but by way of introduction, I think we should just play this. Uh, uh, excuse me, I don't think there's anything wrong with the action on this piano. Well, I heard about the fella you've been dancing with all over the neighborhood. So why didn't you ask me, baby? Or didn't you think I could? Take these axes. Naturally, and as usual, I gotta take an IOU. You enjoyed that, didn't you? That was awesome. Okay, cool. First of all, I'd like to say, we're welcome out of to. The, we are well oh. out of breath, but welcome to the show, to Judy Ballinger in Alveston Ward, who spoke to, who I went to speak to earlier today. Thank you for tuning in, Julie. It was awesome to speak to you, and we will have you on the show soon after we've spoken about this. Now, Blues Brothers, Tosin. The Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers. This is a this is a slight bit of a cheat because on this show we obviously talk about films made after 1980. This is a 1980. It's bang on the borderline. It's like you know, if this was a tennis match, they would have to get Hawkeye in to cover <laughs> whether this was in or out. I say it's in. And now, Blues Brothers is my favorite film of all time and it's a classic that everybody knows and i know some people argue as to whether it's a good film or not 
But those who love it, it's kind of one of those films that you just get. And for me, this film is a bit like capturing lightning in a bottle. Because I watched this film as a kid, grew, grew up. And I think for probably about a good five years, I didn't even know what the storyline was. The storyline was inconsequential. Because you knew it was these two brothers. And it kicks off with... It kicks off with this largely wordless scene of one of them walking through a jail yard somewhere in America. It's a big, big jail called Joliet in, in Illinois, in, yeah, near Chicago. And he's just sort of walking out and you see him and he goes in there. And, th and then this is something I didn't get when I was a kid. But as you grow older, you begin to realize the significance of it. He goes to uh, a guy in the, you know, when they're getting checked out of prison, who gives them back all the possessions that they came into the prison with. And this is played by Frank Oz. And it kind of tells you how the film starts means to go on. It plays by Frank Oz, who's the, known as the voice of Yoda, known as the voice of a whole bunch of characters on Sesame Street, like one of the ones I loved as a kid called Grover. And he gets everything. Then you see his brother comes to pick him up from jail. And there's this big scene where like the, the front dick door of the jail opens and then Jake is standing in there. And you see that he has his name tattooed on his fingers and Elwood is waiting in the car with his name tattooed on his fingers. And they're, all, they're both dressed up in black suits, white shirts, black ties and fedoras and sunglasses. It's like a classic look. It's become an iconic look. So if you don't know the film, you will know that look. You will know <laughs> that look. You will know the fedoras, black sunglasses, sort of like thin ties, white shirts, black suits. You will know that look. And so his, his brother comes and picks him up in a police car, or what looks like a police car. And they just sort of stand looking at each other. Then they, then the, they kicks on, it goes, dun, dun, Jake, dun, dun, Elwood. And then they hug each other as the Blues Brothers, the film kicks off. And if you're paying attention to this, you'll find out that they, oh, they're both orphans. They grew up, one of them ended up in jail and all that kind of stuff. They go, and they, he promised the penguin, which is what they, they called the mother superior at the orphanage they grew up in, that when he got out of jail, he'll go see her. And they go see the penguin, and she lets them know that the orphanage that they're going to be growing up in is about to close down. It's about to close down because they don't have enough money. And so they go, we're going to raise the money. We're going to raise the money to save the orphanage where we grew up. And that's... <laughs> That's the storyline. That's that's basically the bare parts of the storyline. But the real thing about this film is that the guy who wrote it, John Landis, and direct, he wrote it with Dan Aykroyd, one of the stars, yeah. and John Landis. They had this love of the blues. The characters of the Blues Brothers actually started off on Saturday Night Live, the TV show in, in America. So it started off as a sketch thing, and it was just about loving the blues. So they were like, oh, whatever happened to all those old stars who used to sing the blues and all that kind of stuff? So they were like, what happened to Ray Charles? What happened to James Brown? What happened to Aretha Franklin? And these guys loved the blues. And so they came up with this excuse of a plot <laughs> that essentially it's a musical, but doesn't look like a musical. I mean, John Landis, the director, he says quite often how how annoyed he gets that people don't realize that the film is a musical <laughs> because it's just, it's kind of like down and dirty and it's a bit grittier than most musicals are. It's, it's not as... It's not as Hollywoodized and as cotton candies and fluffy and romantic as most musicals are. So it even has swear words in it. And these were things that I did not realize. I remember once I was, I got to 16 and one of my, one of my, somebody I know was like, he was like, wait a second, you love the Blues Brothers. I was like, yeah, I love that film. He's like, but you don't swear. I was like, no, he's like, how can you watch the Blues Brothers? They're swearing all over it. And I'm like, no, there isn't. <laughs> watch the film again. I was like, oh, Dread, I never noticed that. <laughs> but the, so, um, so yeah, so they love the blues. They love the blues. They love all these guys. And they come up with this threadbare plot. That means that because they, they go, they start off after they see the penguin and she kicks them out in a very, very funny scene. She kicks them out of the place. They go to this church. 
they walk into this church and they because she told them to go to church and then they you no know, oh first of all they meet the janitor who they grew up with. It turns out that the janitor who they grew up with was Cab Calloway. The great blues legend is Cap. He just happens to be Cap Calloway, and he tells them to go to church. They go to a church where Jake receives a he receives a revelation about what how they can raise the money to put the band that they used to have back together, play one sellout show, and then pay for the pay for the honor orphanage. It just so happens that the um that the pastor at the church they go to is James Brown. <laughs> I've <laughs> seen that scene. Yeah, it's, well, I've it's, seen the whole film, but yeah, that scene stands out. Yeah, it? it just so happens that he ha- he's James Brown and the lead singer of the choir is Shaka Khan. Then, <laughs> then they go around, they go around um, putting their band together. They meet, and the, all the people who they meet are actually very, very well-renowned blues, get, blues musicians. So they go meet Murph and the Magic Tones. They meet Matt Guitar Murphy. Matt Guitar Murphy is now working as, he's working in a diner and he happens to be married to a woman who doesn't want him to go back into the band. And the woman happens to be Aretha Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, so, and so you have all these scenes where they go from one place to another. And there's, there's all these sort of subplots of people who are chasing them. And there's a bit where Nazis show up and all that kind of stuff. But the bones of the film is essentially going from blues legend to blues legend. They have this massive... Having a musical number. Yeah, and so the the scene that you heard, where we heard uh, Shake the Tail Feather by Ray Charles, that was the first time I'd ever seen Ray Charles. So I thought Ray Charles was an actor who was in the Blues Brothers. I never realized that he was a blues legend. And... In that scene, they've put their band together and they're trying to buy instruments. So they go into this. They go into this place where the <laughs> they're going to this musical shop, and the, it just so happens that the guy who runs the musical shop is Ray Charles. <laughs> and so they say, "Oh, there's something wrong with this keyboard. The keyboard's dead." And he show, he comes on and to show them that oh, th- there's still action in this keyboard, and this keyboard is still worth the money I'm asking you to pay for it. He decides to play that song. And that song goes into this big, massive musical number where there's people dancing in the streets and all over cars and everything like that. And it's so amazing and it's so joyous and it's so <laughs> just makes you want to get up and dance. And as we you, did. Yeah, as we did, as we totally did in the studio. So we're out of breath I've, when I've, we I've got a video of it. <laughs> we'll put that up on our Facebook page. <laughs> put it up on the Facebook page. But and it's, and the film is just so, and, and the film just has this love of blues that comes through. And which is why I think that I think it's it's a bit I said before like it's a bit like catching lightning in the bottle because it I don't think it's a kind of film I don't feel you could do a modern version of like you couldn't say oh who are the stars today oh let's put Beyonce in a in this thing and let's get Kanye West and let's, you couldn't do that it just no. it wouldn't work did, did, didn't they do a remake though or not a remake that's, that's a exactly sequel. what I was going to say yeah that was that was. It, they, they they made a sequel Blues Brothers 2000 or something Blues Brothers 2000 which I still haven't seen I have it on DVD but I just refuse Can't to watch it yeah. because um, I feel like I feel like what they made here I remember seeing a documentary and another thing that the Blues Brothers is known for that is, is absolutely is because they have this police car which is a, it's like a souped up supercharged car and they're driving all around the state dri- driving around Illinois and they end up getting into an altercation with one set of policemen that just grows and grows and grows until the end of the film they have like hundreds of policemen chasing them in cars <laughs> they just have hundreds of policemen chasing them in cars so you keep having all these uh, keep having all these uh, car crashes and i just feel like there's just all this stuff that it and I remember there was a documentary that they just had Dan Aykroyd watching this and he had this smile on his face like oh my god this started in my head and I can't believe they're giving us money to make this. So it's kind of like, it, and I feel like they captured a certain moment in time because mm-hmm. a lot of the stars that they put in are big, massive stars. But the truth is that at the time when this film was made, 
a lot of the stars were in decline. Yeah, because it was 1980, it was like post-punk, it was before... Yeah. It was it was kind of like, you just had the disco fight, disco's fighting with punk thing and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Nobody was really thinking about soul. Nobody was really thinking about blues. And it's and so Aretha Franklin, as legendary as she is, was in a downturn in her career because nobody knew who she was. Same thing with Cab Callow, mm-hmm. same thing with James Brown, same thing with Ray Charles. And this film, being the hit it was reminded people of who they were and more or less gave them a massive shot in the arm for the next couple of decades. And if for no other reason, I love this film for that. Yeah. I love this film for that. And I just, but I think it's a film I could watch anytime. It's a film that I know we grew up with, my, my brothers, my sister, my dad, my mom. We all, we grew up with this film and we will sit down and watch it anytime. As a kids, we loved it because they have all these stunts that they do with the car where the car flies and the dark car does backflips, which they never explain. They never explain why or not the car can do all these things. We don't care. It defies gravity. <laughs> we, we don't care, quite frankly. It's, 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 it, it was kind of like our chitty chitty bang bang before we saw chitty chitty bang bang. But then just the, the characters and the dialogue and the things that they do and like the musical numbers. And when they eventually get to the final concert, they have this fantastical bit where it kind of goes to fantasy where Cab Calloway he's dressed all in black and because the Blues Brothers are late he t- he asks the band he's like he's like oh we've got to do something the crowd are out there they're going crazy all that and he's like oh, does anybody know the uh, know the song Mini the Moocha and yeah. they go oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah we know that and he goes hit it then immediately they're all dressed in white and then Cab Calloway gets up and he does his own because Mini the Moocha is like one of his massive it's like the tune Cab Calloway is known for yeah and he comes out on stage and he just does this, like, you know, he does, and he performs many of the mucha and, and then immediately he finishes it with his, like, you know, poor man, poor man, poor man. Ooh. It ends and they're, they're immediately back in the clothes that they were wearing beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it just keeps going like that. But it's, um, yeah. So you obviously were born in 1980. So I was born in 1980. This, when did it come into your consciousness then that this was a film that you wanted to see? Well, I think it was it was a film that my dad had taped off the TV. And he had it. So we had it on an old Betamax tapes. <laughs> so we had it on this Betamax tapes, which my dad had. And he and he played it. And he would watch it over and over again. And uh, we kids just sat down. And we just started picking it up. So the first time I saw the film, I must have been about five or something wow, like that. Wow, so we're quite young then to be yeah, exposed to it. Yeah, quite young. Watching the film. Loving it. Knowing all the songs. Like, uh, like essentially... Any dance scene in this film, I know what moves the people did in it. Because I've seen, I can I can attest to that. <laughs> the film, the the, the, the the this film is sort of like ingrained in my mind. And there's one of those things because there's some things you get you meet in your childhood, then you watch them when you're older, and you're like, wait a second, that really wasn't as good as I remember it being. Yeah. But the more I watch the Blues Brothers, the better it gets. I just and and because children have a way of filtering, don't they? They filter the things they don't like, and they just really remember the bits yeah. they love. You remember the bits you love, you forget everything else. But the more I watch this film, the more I love it. But I totally understand how some people might not. But for me, it is just such a great film because it has that thing that I think sometimes you have in cinema, where everything just seems to work and everything just seems to come together. It isn't. It seems effortless. It seems yeah. like these guys didn't really try. And then when you grow older, you start realizing who the people are that they had in the film and how they recorded it and how the director with Aretha Franklin, when she sang her, because usually they will record the music then on stage and on set when they're filming it, they'll just mime the song because they've already recorded it. And the director was like Aretha Franklin and Cab Calloway. You can't ask them to. I think it was Aretha Franklin, Cab Calloway and James Brown. He was like those three. 
they never sing the same song twice. So he was like, you can't ask them to record something they're mime to it later. So he recorded them live on set and stuff. I think it's like, when you f- the more you find out about it, the more, the more my love for this film grows. And I just think classic, people should go watch it. And even if they don't like it, I personally think there's something wrong with them. But hey, <laughs> hey, this, this world takes all sorts. But I've been talking for about 10 minutes about this film. Well, and I know I can talk for ages. But you're allowed uh, to show passion and enthusiasm. Love this it's, film. You're welcome. That's what this show's love about. Love this film. Shawnee, what camp are you in? Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, I didn't mind the film. Do we have to throw you out of the studio? I didn't, I didn't mind the film, but um, from a, I mean, perhaps I need to revisit it because... There's certain films that when you revisit, you know, they they, they can, uh, you can say, oh yeah, well maybe it wasn't so bad, but I remember it as, as, it was okay, but I didn't think it was, you know, it wasn't perhaps not my cup of tea, but you're exactly right with some of the stars are in it. Cab Calloway. Yeah. Absolutely terrific. Aretha Franklin. There's some, some really great stars. But the bit that I remember from the film that amused me the most was when they go to sing in that uh, country and western bar. We go, <laughs> He goes, what, 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 what kind of, what kind of music do you play here? Uh, we play two kinds, country no, yeah. and western. <laughs> right? no, she, she actually, she says, she says, we play both kinds, both country kinds, and western. It. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was something like that. But uh, anyway, yeah, the, oh, the band, the that. band they're supposed to play is this band called the Good Old Boys, good old right? Boys. Proper country musicians, and there's this chase. Uh, I remember afterwards the chase because like it, it goes all fairly wrong, and. They're being chased in this. And the, the good old boys are in like a RV, I think, or a, or a, a van of <laughs> They're some They're like in a big Winnebago, like a and, big sort of like caravan. And, and before the the brothers took off, the Blues brothers took off, they they put some super glue on the accelerator pedal. Yeah. And it just, this is the bit I always remember, it just drives into this swimming pool or some water. Yeah. And the leader of the band, he just looks at his man, he says, I can't, well, there's, it goes, don't say a word. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I it's like, the, and I that one line—that's that's that's the line I love. I thought it was I, so good. Yeah, I know, I know exactly the scene, and I agree. That's a hilarious scene. That whole sequence where they go to the country bar, where they blag their way into playing yeah, this yeah, gig yeah. and taking the money that somebody else is supposed to have—that they totally blag it. And yeah, <laughs> and and, the, and that's one of the bits I'm talking about because that bit, as you said, there's a swear word in there. And I've watched this scene. We thought this scene was hilarious. We watch. We would quote it to each other when we were kids, and even when we were kids, I think we blanked out the, the swear. We didn't yeah. realize there was a swear word in there, so we used to just look at each other and go, "Don't you say a word?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's the way he says it. It just kind of, I just like they go to Bob's Country <laughs> Bunk. <laughs> that was. It was like just perfect timing, I think, it's, and the, oh, the expression. You know. oh. What about you, Sharon? What camp oh. are you in? You asked. Yeah, I've, I've watched. I like. Yeah, I like it. I like the music from it. I remember it, I didn't come into it till I was a bit later on because I think in 1980 I was a bit too young to it wasn't where I was at but I think it became I became aware of it later on in, in the early 90s I think in that time when video was really becoming big where we would have video days yeah you know where everyone got the home video so you'd go out for the day you choose four videos and then you'd watch them from like 12 lunchtime till midnight and you would have like back-to-back videos and i think was one of those films we just slotted it in there between you know the the romantic chick flick and the horror film that was later <laughs> so it was like in the afternoon so yeah i do remember yeah thinking was, what is this all about <laughs> was, was carrie fisher in it yeah, Carrie Fisher's in it. With a machine gun, it's in Carrie, it, or something. Yeah, because, as I said, there's loads of different subplots that kind of like, when I think about, when you're trying to talk about the film, you end up, it sounds like there's just so much going on, but it slots so well together. So it turns out that Jake, 
throughout the film, the blues, they they do things like they go to a motel, and then while they're in the motel, this girl just drives up in a car, comes up with a flamethrower, and flames the entire hotel, gets in a car, and drives off. And they never explain. And she keeps showing up. And she- Isn't she someone's girlfriend? She's Jake's wife. Oh, Jake's wife. She's, oh, she's Jake's right, wife. Okay. And so it keeps it, it keeps coming up, showing up at various points in the film. This woman shows up, gets out of a car with with. There's a bit where she has a rocket launcher and blows up their hotel. Bit, she yeah, comes yeah. up with a machine gun and fires at them. And, you, and after a while, Elwood is like, "Who is that girl?" <laughs> and then it tells her that she's Jake's wife, who Jake left at the altar when they were supposed to get married. So she's gonna like really vengeful and just chases around them, trying that to would kill do it. them. <laughs> and, and her final scene in the film is hilarious. Is the way oh oh okay. I think I need to do a special show where I just go on about the Blues, Blues Brothers, Brothers the songs so, of the Brothers for an hour because we, we yeah. Which one is Jake? Jake is played by John Belushi, and so, so Elwood is Danny Aykroyd. Yeah, the Elwood is played by Dan Aykroyd. So there, there's usually essentially the fat short one and the th- tall thin yeah. one. So uh, so Jake is the fat short one, and Elwood is the tall thin one. And it's uh, yeah, and John Belushi. I think this is this is uh, for me. This is probably his high because he didn't make that many films. No, he did yeah. like Animal I, House before he died. Yeah, mm. I, I was like going to say. He's, he, I I think that may have put me off because he was never really one of my favourite as an as yeah. so, so probably. Perhaps I should see it again. You've well, maybe well, enthused me to. Well, to, to the, the give thing it is, I think I think Blues Brothers is John Belushi toned down, because something like Animal House is yeah. John Belushi essentially just indulging himself. But when I see when I see Animal House, it's almost unrecognizable from the John Belushi I see in Blues Brothers. Yeah. Because I think in Blues Brothers he has something. He has almost like a role to play apart from just being this loud kind of John Belushi. Obnoxious. Person. Yeah. 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 I, I'll totally agree with you on that because most of John Belushi's comedy. I was not that big a fan of it, but in the Blues Brothers, I love him. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Thank uh, you for that. No problem. I'm going to stop talking now because we had a yeah we had a blast actually just getting warmed up for that. Track. So that <laughs> was, it's worth it alone for the uh, sort of three minute warm. Well, we should, three minute we should have had another track from that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can, can we have Cab Calloway? Uh, 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 to <laughs> be honest with you, I, the Moocher. I was really thinking that I was like we should have another track from that song. Anyway, let's carry on. Wait, okay. you just had it. Hey. <laughs> let's carry on. And uh, yeah, if um, I'm, I'm not sure if um, Judy is still with us after that. <laughs> but we're actually going next to Judy. Okay. And so you had a, you met with Judy this afternoon in Alberston Ward. Yes, I did. I went to our pet ward, met with Judy. So hello, Judy. Hello, Alverston. And so this is, we've got a limited week we've got here from Judy Ballinger, who talked this afternoon with Tosin about what she loved about the cinema. And here we are talking about her early days in Cambridgeshire. All right, cool. So if you could just start off by telling us your name, please. I'm Judy Ballinger. And the first time you ever went to the cinema? Well, I'm from a little town in Cambridgeshire, and it's called Ely. And the cinema was what we called a flea pit. Uh, It was really, really just so dirty and run down. And the first film I remember seeing was South Pacific, which now is supposed to be very racist. But in those days was just wonderful because it was pure escapism, desert island, um, lots of palm trees, completely unlike my rainy place that I grew up in. So I, I remember the cinema was associated with just escaping from the real world. And I suppose lots of James Bonds, we all enjoyed those. I also remember the cinema had double seats at the back. So from about the age of 14, if you had a boyfriend, you made for the double seats at the back. You tried to persuade the boy that that's 
where you wanted to sit. But then you pretended that you didn't really want to sit there. But oh yes, you did really. <laughs> and there were there would always be a dance over the way, and so you could spill out from the cinema and go straight into what was the corn exchange because this was a really old-fashioned country town, um, and go to the corn exchange and meet lots of young farmers and <laughs> talk about crops. <laughs> Nobody ever drank. We didn't drink when we were growing up in the 60s. We had no idea that drinking took place. We were very innocent. But yeah, it's great. Really nice to grow up in a small town where you knew practically everybody. You couldn't get away with anything. Also, on the same market square opposite the cinema, there would be the fair, and the fair would come, and that was always really exotic as well. You can tell I didn't stay there very long. I soon left home. I'm married to someone, um, Nick Ballinger, who loves old movies, and his favourites are anything with Marilyn Monroe, um, anything like Billy Wilder, Sunset Boulevard, etc. He, he loves the kind of the black and white era. He's also a huge Hitchcock fan. So we have all the Hitchcock movies, and we've watched them all several times. He's, he sounds like he should come on our show and be like one of our <laughs> presenters. Yes, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's got a much better memory than I have. But we've been to several of the places in California where they filmed the Hitchcock movies, and they haven't changed much at all. You know, even San Francisco, you can tell exactly where places were from the films. Cars have obviously changed quite a bit as have the fashions, but they were so stylish, those films. You know, you, you can just tell that it was an era when people had money and showed they had money. Not everybody, but yeah, great director. He also, um, he, he loves Steven Spielberg, um, surprisingly. And who made North by Northwest? I think that was Hitchcock. That was Hitchcock. Yeah, that's his favorite film. <laughs> Cool. So, all right, but from South Pacific, your first movie, is there any particular song you can remember that you'd like us to play? Well, I mean, if you have it, um, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. I know South Pacific by heart. I know all the songs by heart. Yeah. It's, it's just always been a favorite movie of mine. <laughs> we'll get you that. And we're going to watch that. All right, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. You don't have to worry about me anymore because it's all off. With him? Uh-huh. Smart girl, Nellie. I'm going to break it off clean before it's too late. You think you can? Before I go any further, I just better not get started. Don't you think so, too, Gracie? Yes, I do. You do, huh? Yes. Well, I guess I do, too. so dramatic about it. Things like this happen every day. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair and send him on his way. Get the picture? I'm gonna wave that man right out of my arms. I'm gonna wave that man. I went and washed that man right out of my hair. I went and washed that man right out of my hair. I went and washed that man right out of my hair and sent him on his way. 
Hallo. 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 Judy. <laughs> It sounds like you enjoyed this film, Sharon. Yeah, oh, well, I've just, you've got, we've all got, well, you gentlemen have got a confession to make, haven't you? About yes. South Pacific. Yes. Yes. South indeed. Pacific is one of those ones that I've heard about. I know that I've heard that song. I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair so many times, but I've never seen the film. Sean? I've, I've sort of seen clips here and there <laughs> through, through the years. You know, I think there's nothing like a dame, which sort of, I mean, there used to be, when I was younger on TV, I don't know if you remember this, Sharon, probably not, but there used to be like, I don't know, shows like Disney Time or, yeah. or anything you to see with a movie was they'd show certain clips and if there was something about a musical, they'd just show that particular number. That's entertainment they had. That that's sort ent- of... Yeah, that type of thing. That's yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. So it looks like I'm the only one here You get the you whole get to, film. You get to act all superior and morally right and get on <laughs> your high horse. And Is there like, a... yeah. You get to sit down with Judy and have like a nice little natter in the corner while we just sit here and girls. sulk. And, and, and do you need to wash any men out of your hair? At this moment in time, no. <laughs> in the past, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shall I, I summarise what it's about? Yeah, let's summarise yeah, what the film's good, about. Good South Pacific is about the war in the Pacific, basically. Oh, yeah. It's set during that period after Pearl Harbour, uh, so 1943 onward, basically. And it's a, it's a station on one of these small Pacific islands. And you've got a, a base with lots of lots of soldiers and marines. Well, sort of, they're naval personnel and marines. And then you have a, a, a hospital there. So you've got, it's full of nurses. Mm-hmm. And so the lady you heard singing is a nurse. And on this island, before the war, before they had the big naval base there, it was basically plantations. And she meets this French expat plantation owner. And they have this sort of instant connection. And then the reason why the lady, um, Judy, in the clip said, is people think it's racist now, is there's a scene in the film where the plantation owner, um, you meet his children, and he's got two children who are obviously the mother is like of Polynesian descent. They're, they're very dark-skinned. Yep. And she says, oh, they're adorable. And then he goes, oh, who are they? Whose are they? And he goes, like, they're mine. And she goes, ah. And then there's a song where she sings about, you know, it shouldn't matter. But you know about the fact that her, 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 who her, their mother was, yeah. the fact that this is a white man who had a relationship with a non-white woman. Yeah. And then parallel to this story, Nellie Forbush—that's the name of the lady who was singing—and I can't remember the name of the the French guy. But in parallel to their relationship, you have one of these. One of the soldiers is um, a bit of a wise guy, and he hears about this island called Bally High. Yeah. I think I know a song about that. Bally High. Uh, <laughs> but they hear about this, and on Bally High... Sounds like a high school. There's, it's like this island paradise where, and they've got these sort of different rituals and some of these, these soldiers are determined to get to this island. Yeah. And they persuade one of the lieutenants to take them to this island on a sort of recruitment type thing to reconnoiter the place. And he meets a local native girl and they sing a, a, a sort of lovely duet there. Um happy talking and things like that yeah and so the reason why they talk about the race there is because you have this white man with a polynesian girl a much younger girl and then you also have this older french guy who'd had a previous relationship so they're exploring their their racial identities to america these two white americans who suddenly are looking at people from a different race yeah but i think because one of the songs it does address that you know it's just, i think it's one of the lines is about their why are their eyes oddly made and things like that Ooh. so it's talking about <laughs> A different, and their, their skins of a different shade. So they do talk about it, but they're addressing, as I say, you know, why why should this matter? Oh yeah. 
and then they're trying to overcome their natural racial prejudices. So in some ways, it's a musical that looks at the different racial stereotypes. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's cool. Is there, is... Sharon, can I ask you one question? Yeah. Is there any um, action in it? at all like yes there is because there the is. lieutenant oh, right. he becomes a spotter and he goes sort of in the jungle and he's spotting like the Japanese and you see there's like air raids and there's a few scenes where there's not battle scenes as such but there is danger uh-huh. and there is an untimely death in the film Ooh. so there is not all happy ever, it's not all HEAs happy ever afters in this film <laughs> Well, okay, cool. So a couple of things I found out about this film while I was hastily researching it because yes. I, I I was one of those things where people say South Pacific and I'm like, yeah, South Pacific. Yeah. When I think about it, I'm like, actually, I don't know anything about it because whenever I heard that song, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. I always assumed that that was Cole Porter because it sounds like yes, Cole Porter. that rhythm. Yeah, that sounds like a Cole Porter song, but it's actually Rodgers and Hammerstein. They're from of Carousel fame and Sound of Music fame and all that. And the other thing is that they because obviously this was a it was a hit on Broadway first. Yes. And after the they so they they were going to make of they wanted to make a film version of this and they were going to cast the leads in the Broadway in the Broadway show, but the male lead died, and they went, so when he died, they thought, okay, we, we're going to change this up. And the people who they actually uh, auditioned for the part of Nelly. They offered the role to Doris Day. Okay. Yeah, obviously Doris Day, but she passed. Elizabeth Taylor tested for the same role, but she was rejected by Rogers because she got stage fright at the audition. Oh, for singing in front of people. She's not known for her singing, is she? She's not known for her singing. So even though one of the other producers heard her sing later, Rogers had made his mind up and was like, no, forget that. So it was given to Mitzi, what's her name? Mitzi Mitzi Gaynor. Mitzi Gaynor, yeah, that's it. So, yeah. And it was Rossano Brazzi who plays the Frenchman, though he's an Italian. Yeah, but well, that was Hollywood in the 50s. That's often the way it was like, hey, he's European. That's close enough. It's like Omar Sharif last week. Yeah. Yeah. Look at him. Where's he from? We don't know. He's Egyptian. Forget that. He's now German. (laughs) (laughs) He's foreign. Close enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always think of every every time his name's mentioned. I know he's been a couple of films because I think primarily he was a singer, wasn't he? He, Rosano Brazzi. Rosano Brazzi. I always think of Luca Brazzi in The Godfather. (laughs) <laughs> lies with the fishes. Yeah, yeah. He did play a few romantic smoothie type things as well because he, he was quite distinguished. He had like bit of, there was sort of dark hair that was greying, and he was sort of like rugged and sort of so, strong and tall and all that sort of so thing. Was so was he, he the older play... plantation guy then? Yes. Yeah. He right. was the plantation owner who um, had left France under a bit of a cloud. Uh, That's why he's living in you know this the Pacific. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's got lots of musical numbers through it. Though it's one of those things. As soon as you say name a musical number, I think you go, oh, nothing like a dame. Oh, <laughs> and now I know that I could probably. I'm like Judy. I could probably sing along with every song yeah, on this film. musical. Yeah, <laughs> Ju- Judy. It sounds like this is your version of the Blues Brothers for yeah. you. Because I, I could do exactly the same thing, but with the Blues Brothers. But it has a funny twist in the song. Some of the musical numbers, when they go into it, they have like this colour shade that goes over the, the screen. So when they're singing some things, the screen will go yellow or it'll go blue or it'll go a bit lilac. Yeah. So it's when you first see it, because I first saw it on the television, and I thought, what's wrong? What's going, what's going on here? <laughs> and then when you see it in a big screen format or when you see it in cinemascope, you see that this sort of colour palette is like it's it's almost like the colour of the song so whatever the mood is that's the sort of colour tint that's been given to the whole thing ah. so there's one song called One Enchanted Evening or Some Enchanted Evening where they're both Rosanna Bratz is singing and Mitzi Gaynor are both singing to each other but not apart and you see the different colours sort of like cover, cover the screen so it sort of suggests what mood they're feeling so it's an interesting twist. I haven't seen it in any other film. Yeah, well, I've, I've read. I read something about that. That they said that there was criticism about that when it was originally released. But 
people didn't care. They still wanted to be a massive they still hit. Still wanted to, yeah. yeah. But I think I think legend has it that he's not in the film, but Sean Connery, one of his first roles was one of the soldiers who sang "It's Nothing Like a Dame" on stage. <laughs> so I try to picture James Bond skipping around. If, if you want to see that, you should see a film called Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Does he skip around? He has a lead and he's singing. <laughs> He's singing as, a, as some sort of farmer. Well, she's my dear, my darling one. That, that, that is full of fun. That, 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 my, my charming Irish girl. Sean Connery singing. It's <laughs> quite it's quite a thing. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, so South Pacific. Thank you very much, Judy. That was awesome. That was our patient choice. And, yeah, we said we have to get her husband in and get him recorded because it sounds like he has got some interesting films. He has all those films. Well. But, Judy, I'm telling you what, we, we refuse to talk about any of the films that Nick chose until he comes in here and does he it himself. And does it himself. We or, don't wish or, him in the goes, hospital. Goes, into, goes onto Facebook on a Facebook page. They don't make them like they used to and actually suggest films that we should talk about on a later show. Then he can come and talk about them himself. Yes. That's we don't, we don't wish invitation. him ill so that he ends up in hospital or anything. So we can do this without having to be hospitalised to do it. God bless so, Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is always a means. Now the next part of our show is where we talk about films a bit like the last one where I'm the only one who's seen it. Now this is a <laughs> <laughs> this is a hidden gem where I think am I fair in saying that only Sean has seen this? Yep, Possibly, yeah. yeah. Doing what well, a hidden gem should do. Well, I've got the trailer to play, Sean. So do you want to introduce the film and then I play the trailer? Then you can tell us what's going on there. Okay, so this film it's it's based loosely based on um a story of a, a, a an American guy in the south called Buford Pusser. Mm-hmm. Funny name. And uh, he eventually becomes a sheriff and it's a story of how he becomes a sheriff. It's quite a quite a violent action shoot 'em up movie, so yeah. you know, I'm okay. a, a creature of habit. Well I'll play the trailer okay. and then you can tell us what's going on here. Well, sir, you're a local sheriff. A brand new one at that. Now, maybe nobody told you, but this is a lot more than just a local operation. I mean, there are some important people involved all the way up to the capital and beyond, believe me. Well, the only important people to me are down there. They built the county. They have to live in it. I got nothing against a little drink, a little fun. But the law of the land shouldn't be for sale. If you let those people that run those joints have an inch, they'll steal the whole state. It looks like they've already got a leg up on it. Well, there we have the trailer to Walking Tall. So, Shawnee, tell us what's that about. Okay, well, basically, this this guy moves with his family. He's, 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 he's been in the army, um, and he was a bit of a professional wrestler as well. And and he goes to start up a new... new goes to stay with his mum and dad in this, this southern town. And uh, he goes with a friend to this, this casino that is, like, on the county border. And finds out they're cheating, he accuses them of cheating, and there's a bit of an altercation. He gets in a fight, and uh, he he loses the altercation in the end. He didn't, puts up a good account for himself, but they decide that they're going to really, really cause him some pain, so they they cut him with a knife quite... And then... So... And they, they rob his truck, and they sort of dumping, and he, he goes into the hospital. And then he decides he's going to go... He says, I've lost my truck, I've lost this, so he decides he's going to go and and get his money back basically so what he does is he goes back to this casino with a big stick big baseball bat type of thing that he's made and basically beats the guys up goes to the cashier says i, I want 1300 bucks you know like a thousand for the 
the truck and yeah. so, so he just gets the money and that's all he takes he only takes the money he doesn't take any more and of course then it goes to court and all the people that he's beaten up are all sort of you know they've got plasters on and they're saying oh this is really and and it's really really corrupt and then joe don bake or buford's on the stand at this this and he goes this is what they did to me do you want your town to be run by these people and he sort of takes his shirt off and the old judge is going put your shirt back on you order order this court and then uh, anyway so afterwards the jury goes out and then they come out and the the sheriff says to the because they're all corrupt you know he goes well they've only been in there five minutes he goes they must have uh that's unusual wouldn't it and they come back and they find him not guilty so he decides after that that he's going to run for sheriff against the other sheriff and uh, he gets, a, you know, you know, the, the sheriff and the deputies, they try to put him off and there's a bit of an occasion, but he does get elected sheriff. Yeah. And of course, so the, the, the crooks of the town, they decide they're going to do something about it because he starts clean, to clean up the town. So they ambush him and his wife's in the car at the same time. Yeah. And they actually shoot the car up, but he, he survives, but his wife gets killed. So but you can imagine what happens after that. Yeah. But it's... um. I mean, it's based on a true story, and the, there was going to be a series of films, and they did make a walking tool too with yep. Bo Spencer, where the actual sheriff himself, Buford Pusser, was going to play the part because he said the first one was fifty percent fact and fifty percent Hollywood. You know? <laughs> so, but it's a really, really good action movie, and I think Joe Don Baker, who plays Buford Pusser, during around this time, he was in a a couple of other movies, nineteen seventy three, same year, this film called The Outfit which is uh, basically an, a bit similar to, I think we spoke about um, Point Blank, didn't we, once? And well, so, we, so yeah. Uh, we haven't actually done Point Blank. I think we may have done on an early show. Have we not done Point Blank? I, well, I if we haven't, we must do it then. Uh, yeah, no, because I, I know. Because <laughs> everybody knows that one. Yeah, th this does sound like, because obviously you, you're a fan of 70s cinema and yeah. essentially sort of like muscular, muscular, gritty, kind of almost, because I know we spoke about Death Wish. Death Wish. It sounds yeah. a little bit like, it, or even though I think Death Wish might, was it? I think it was actually seventies, just before. Yeah, the it was seventies. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it sounds like um this is kind of like in that vein. I know you spoke about Rolling Thunder as well, and yeah. it seems to be like in that kind of vein. It was seventy-seven. That that is, and also we were talking about Walter Matthau last week, and yep. and Joe Don Baker. I mean, you may remember him because he was in a couple of James Bond films yeah. as the intelligence operative, and he was also in Cape Fear. He was like the the guy that that was in the house, you know, and he said, "Oh, it's all right. I've got this. I've got this." Well, it is Joe Don Baker. I know him as. Well, I know him as an older actor, and he was the kind of guy who, oh, especially in the '90s, for me, he became there's a there's a phrase that people use. He's that guy from that thing. Yeah. He just kept showing up in all these films, and I knew him. I knew Joe Don Baker, and he's probably one of the few people to star in the Bond series. He started as a bad guy and a good guy. That's right. Yeah, because, because, because one he, of them he was a he was in the was Living general, Daylights yeah. as like some sort of like you know, so bad general. Then he shows up in GoldenEye with well, with Timothy Dalton. Then he shows up in GoldenEye with uh, Pierce Brosnan as the essentially the replacement for Felix Leiter. That's it, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's so yeah, but Jordan Baker, he's he's an actor who I've I've loved. I haven't seen much of what he did when he was younger. But he, like his oldest stuff, he just shows up as a character actor. He makes the film better than he leaves. <laughs> yeah. Um he wasn't a film with Steve McQueen. I think that's where he got noticed. He played Steve McQueen's uh younger brother in Junior Bonner. Oh yeah. Which okay. is a western, Steve McQueen western. Um, which is which is quite good, and and he just happened to pick this role. And this this movie was a really really big hit. You know, it, was, it wasn't expensively made or anything, but it was a really really big hit. And yeah. then he picked up these others: the outfit and Charlie Varick with Walter Matho, and his name's he's just called Molly. 
I think that's such a good name. <laughs> His character's called Molly. He's like a hitman that goes after Walter Matto because similar to the outfit, they rip off a bank. It's a bank robbery, but it's the mobs. Yeah. It's the mobs' money. So, it's, it, you know, the capers are all very yeah, similar. They're in trouble, all in yeah. a very similar vein. But this film, I think, deserves a watch because uh, I was spoken to... Um, some people, it often comes up, you know, just that, I mean, oh, what's that film? What was that film with Joan Don Baker? And, yeah. You know, walking tall. And I, and I saw this, I was quite young when I saw this, and I remember seeing it with my mate Paul, and we were like, oh, that's so good. They're a bit, you know, a bit, uh, bit violent, but not yeah. as violent as some of the films nowadays, actually. Well, yeah, because uh, when you talk about this film, I mean, I don't, when you hear, when you say walking tall to me, the first thing I think about is the 2004 film with The Rock. The Rock, yeah. In it, which which I only found out last night when you were talking about this, is a remake of this film. That's right. And the See, um, I never connected the two. I've seen Walking Tour and I've, uh, uh, you know, the... The rock version. The rock one. version. Yeah. And I haven't, yeah, I didn't connect the two at all. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's, a, it's and the thing is with, from what I've seen from the, the, they turned it into sort of like, you know, a sort of a rock standard actioner. In the, that's, what it, that's what the remake looks like. Yeah. And but when you said this is like a seventies movie with Jordan, I'm thinking, okay, this was going to be there's going to be more to it. And what you were saying about it, because obviously they made a lot of these films in the seventies, usually because they were quite cheap to make. This film yeah. only cost five hundred thousand dollars to make. Whoa, <laughs> half a million <laughs> for for films for a film. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's is commercial, it? isn't it nowadays? Yeah, yeah, but it made it made twenty three million dollars at the box office. <laughs> that's that's probably why they made Charlie Varick in the outfit. Then it would be that, that jumping I think on the bandwagon. That, that's going to be the, the reason why year. all these other yeah. ones came out because they were like, "Wait a second, yeah, <laughs> we'll people, have some of that." People want to see this stuff. People want to see a guy go on a revenge rampage. So, would you call it like a modern western in that regard? That it's sort of like one of those gritty type films where they all wear denim. I suppose you could say that. Yeah, they're very much that. You know, with mm. with, with um, I. I yeah, I would. I, you could. I mean, most most film genres you could put in as westerns, couldn't you? Really. I mean, Star Wars is a western, I think. Well, yeah, yeah. You know. Um, so, but. But he's set. Where, where is this set in? Like Texas or somewhere, or the it's one of those southern states. Yeah, it's one of the southern. I think it's Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. Um, so immediately you get like a picture of what that's going to be like, don't you? When you look about <laughs> law enforcement and corruption, you tend to think, yeah. okay, smoky bears. Yeah. They all come on down. <laughs> No, no, it's, I, the, you, something you just said has just set something off in my head. But that when you said that is like a it's like a western where the where cars replace horses. Yes, and it could be. Yeah. And there's a whole swathe of films in the seventies that when you, that all of a sudden I'm just thinking, hang on a second, there are westerns where cars replace the yes. horses. Like there's this there's this film. I know it's famous. I saw it as a kid and I can never remember. But it's about it's this guy and he has this white car it's like an iconic white car that he's and he just sort of like chases around and in the end he ends up crashing the car because there's a police blockade and the car blows up wouldn't, wouldn't be called vanishing point would it? i think that's the one yeah i vanishing think that's the point. one yeah good I movie mean, yeah i saw it i saw it when i was about seven and i just remembered the car and i remember thinking oh that's a cool car i want to have that car and i remember getting really sad when the car blows up yeah that's <laughs> but, right yeah he just crashes the roll block doesn't he yeah, and, yeah. But, but even that that's like a 70s movie and it's kind of like a, a western I Only think that like, there's a car instead of a horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. But I mean, that, that some of the films are really nihilistic in the 70s. Yeah, you know, they yeah. were very. I mean, have we done two Lane Blacktop? Nope. Nope. Two, we haven't done two. Okay. 
they will kind of write come it, back. Write it, down, write it down. Write it down. Write it down. But I did want to do another Western. We haven't done a Western for a while. No, we haven't so. done for a while. But yeah, so it's one of those gritty, sort of realistic 70s things. So you immediately get a picture of what you're going to get. So you'd say thumbs up to Walking Tall. I would say thumbs up to right. Walking Tall. Check it yeah. out. 1973. It's, it's going to be out there somewhere that I'm sure you can watch it through a, you know, so you could probably, I think you could probably, side. I mean, all of those films that I've spoken about, you can actually, I don't know if you've got much gone, but they will be on YouTube. YouTube, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if you was to YouTube it, you could find. They're normally there on the, in their yeah. entirety. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Shawnee. That's our hidden uh, gem. Walk in tall. Go for it, Toes. Just because I feel like I, t- I took up a massive chunk talking about the Blues Brothers. Yeah. And I don't want to, like, take up a massive chunk of, so is there anything you want to say, Sean? <laughs> what I would say is these, these particular films, the outfit, um, Charlie Varick, and especially walking tall but yeah no so it's it, a trilogy of grittiness yeah and the, all the same year <laughs> but i figure that's why when when you've just said to me about that half a million to make and made 23 million i mean that's probably where they came out in the same year yeah because oh, the outfit stars robert deval and Ooh. and um yeah so that's oh, good wow, and robert that. ryan and robert mm-hmm. ryan so the outfit's one to check out and joe don baker is a as a heavy but a, you know, he's the mate of Robert Duvall. Yeah. And uh, but in Charlie Varick, he's the he's the hitman that chases him. Molly, always oh, send for Molly. <laughs> Get Molly after him. He's not a very nice character. Yeah. So yeah, that's about it, really. I thumbs think. up. I'm done. Yep. Thumbs Sorry, up. No, thumbs up for Walking Tall, 1973. Check it out, people. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And I think I might have to sort of go and explore that one as well. Do you like a bit of you know urban modern 70s western? Especially if you've seen the Grit. the the rock version so you can yeah that has a certain appeal (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna watch that man (laughs) he hasn't gotten here (laughs) and if he did I wouldn't want to watch it (laughs) hey we're just going off completely fancy land now okay okay, come back come back to our show come back back in the room (laughs) I had to snap my fingers and yeah count backwards from ten or something right I'm no longer thinking about the rock Okay, next bit is our final show, the film we're going to talk about tonight on the show, and it's an exception to the rule. Now, an exception to the rule, as it sounds, is a film made before, made after 1980, which is our rule, and it's a film that I have chosen tonight, and I think it's a film that, like all the other exceptions we've had, they stand the test of time, and I think this is a film that made a biggish splash in this country but I think it probably deserved a bit of a better audience and I think it's one of those ones that will stand up and it's believe it or not it's a film called Sunshine on Leith and the main premise of this the film is that it puts the music of the proclaimers who I think are underrated and are fabulous <laughs> but it puts the music of the proclaimers into a musical form on along the lines of like ABBA with Mamma Mia and Queen with yep. whatever the Queen musical was and We Will Rock You We Will Rock You there's a lot of them out there where they take a one particular band and they use their music but this is the one about proclaimers, uh, the Proclaimers so this is a bit of a taste of it this is the beginning of the film where you hear um, yeah the, the tone of how they how they take the Proclaimers unique sound and make it into a musical format so let's have a listen to this piece of fun I'm on my way from misery to happiness today. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. I'm on my way from misery to happiness today. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. I'm on my way to I'm setting on top of the world. 
Yeah, I can't do a very good Scottish accent, but you're really tempted to whenever I sing along to the Tamers. I'm on my way. My way. <laughs> they, they had to have training to keep the Scots accent, and I was I watched a thing about it. To, to actually, yeah, yeah, for when yeah. to actually sing because if you listen to Scottish singers, they they sound the, American. Yeah, they sound American. All oh, right, no, but that's they good. had to actually have uh, elocution lessons so they could keep the well the Proclaimers. Your goal. Yeah, <laughs> I, can't yeah, I think it, it's but. all like folk singers. Folk singers have to do the same. They have to consciously sing the way they speak so to keep their accent. Oh, and right. so the proclaimers, both Charlie and Craig, they've had to, to to learn when they sing to sing in their own accents. Yeah. But I really rate the proclaimers. I really like their music. But to give you a little, that was a little taster of what the musical was like. But the storyline is quite simple in the proclaimers, a film, Sunshine on Leith, and it's about two best friends who are in Afghanistan and they're in the army, and they've had an incident where they were injured in a, with a roadside ID. Yeah, yeah, and so they've been sent home to sort of recuperate. They weren't badly injured, but obviously once you've been in, it's not that. Sometimes you get home leave. And one of their pals was badly hurt. So they've come home to Leith, which is a suburb of Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. I can start, I can't, I want to start, I'm tempted to slip into the brogue and I, I mustn't. <laughs> <laughs> Every Scot out there would be so offended if I do. So it's like, stop it, Sharon. Stop that inner voice of yours that says speak in brogue. <laughs> so they go back to Leith and then... Um, one of the characters, he's got a sister who's a nurse and they arrange to go out that evening and the first night back they're going to go out with all their pals and so his sister brings along her best friend who's also a nurse and he takes his best friend and his best friend and his sister go out together and then he meets his sister's friend, the nurse, and they start in a relationship. So you've got these two parallel relationships that are running through the thing. So when they, all the different songs that come in uh, sort of parallel these two relationships. And that's basically the story that these two soldiers home on leave, um, deciding what the future is going to be, whether it's in the army, outside the army. Yeah. And then part of it is um, their mother's name is Jean. Oh, Jean. Yeah. <laughs> and it's her and her husband's anniversary. Play, played by the awesome Peter Scottish Mullen. actor Peter Mullen. And Jane Horrocks plays the mum. Yeah. And George Mackay plays the, the main soldier. And I can't remember all the other characters who are in mm. it. But yeah, they are awesome. And. They um, so Ojean and they find out at during this anniversary celebration that he had been unfaithful in the first year of their marriage, and that he now had another daughter. Yeah, that they none of them knew anything about. So you suddenly get this area of conflict, and then whilst he's dealing with all this conflict, he has a heart attack and he is in the hospital, and then she sings to him "Sunshine on Leith," and they, the daughter decides that she wants she doesn't want to spend the rest of her life in Scotland, so she gets a job. In America. In Miami. And so she sends a letter from America. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which for those of you who might not know, which I didn't when I saw this film, is another song by the Proclaimers, Letter from America. America. And they when, during their romance, they want to sing about, you know, You Make My Heart Fly, another song. And at one point in the film, he's, they want to propose and he's decided, yeah, we don't want to get married to the sister who's the nurse. And so he sings, let's get married, which is one of my favourite Proclaimers <laughs> songs. So it is chock full of Proclaimers wonder and marvellousness. And there is a happy ending at the end and they sing 500 miles <laughs> and they do it as a flash mob. Yeah, yeah, no, okay, I think, or right, first of all, a couple of things about this film, I have to say, this completes... 
This completes our series of Sharon selecting every single film that has ever been directed by Dexter Fletcher in, <laughs> in one area in, in an area of this show. You found a way to just put it in there. Get it in there. To put yes. it in there. I think you, you just you you're like a Dexter Fletcher fangirl. Yeah, I know. A Wild Bill, yeah. Yeah, he's Wild Bill, Eddie the Eagle, Sunshine and Leaf. You have yeah. you have figured out a way to figure to put them into Patrick. this show one way or another. So he needs to start making more films. If not, you're not gonna have a clue what to talk about. No, I'm gonna run out of <laughs> Hidden, you know, exception to the rules. But but the thing is, I think um, this is one of the few modern musicals. I mean, um, I mean, today we we've ended up talking about three different musicals that different, are all kind of completely different, completely different styles. I feel like Walking Tall is kind of like you know standing here going, "What the hell's going on here? I'm surrounded by <laughs> musicals. What's going on?" But so it's like, and this is one of the few modern musicals that I think really really works because I know that they had. Mamma Mia, yeah, uh, I have issues with that anyway, but it, uh, but it, and the, there was another film that they made that was going to be all 80 songs music. That had, it was called Walking on Sunshine. Yes, I saw it. Yeah. Didn't I, work. That looked rubbish. And it was. Yeah, but this this really, really does actually come together. I think it's because it's the Proclaimers, and I think the Proclaimers, they're, they're not particularly flashy. They're, no. The songs don't have like a massive, mass amount of production on them. As I said, they're not trying to be... They're not trying to be like, you know, pop stars and they're, they're essentially folk singers. It sounds yeah. like folk music. Yeah. And they found a setting. They found a setting that works in like, you know, the whole the fact that we are in, you're in Edinburgh. The film is quite Scottish. And it's yes. like, and so it's sort of like it, it and the music fits that. And I think it really, really does work. So some of them, I think the own the, when they do 500 miles as a flash mob, yeah. which I think was a genius idea. Because the, if you do it as a flash mob, that means you can get that big crowd coming together that you usually get in a musical. But apart from that, there's no other music no, musical number in the film that's that big. All, no. They're also like small, They normally intimate. sit in pubs or do anything with more than two people singing. It's in a pub or it's in yeah. some sort of closed venue. And, and it, it kind of like... And the songs as all the best musicals do, the songs actually move the plot along. The songs explain different things. I think the opening of the film is awesome because they have that, well, it could be tomorrow or it could be today. And they're singing that while they're in Afghanistan in the back yeah. of it. And as this song builds up and builds up and builds up, and there's, a, there's an explosion. And I think it just catches you right from the word go. And you're like, I'm with these guys. I know what's going on. And to be honest with you, I didn't know half the Proclaimer songs and and I was and I was, so for instance the whole thing with that the mum's called Jean and when yes. the dad is singing Jean oh Jean in the pub yeah. I remember watching that and thinking did they write a song called Oh Jean specifically yeah. for this film <laughs> <As> <laughs> or did they just as... happen to have a song that was called Oh Jean Oh Jean lying around somewhere because I was into the claimers and I took a friend along with me to when I saw this the first time at the cinema because I saw this a few times at the cinema I kept going back mm -hmm. to see it because I just loved it. And I did play some of like, the greatest hits from the Proclaimers. It was when I was working in an office. So we played the, the songs in the office and I played them, oh, Jean. And I thought, as soon as they said, this is my mum, Jean, it's like, yes! <laughs> it's not my favourite song, but I thought, they're going to sing, oh, Jean! <laughs> and I just wanted the scene, Let's Get Married. And the scene where they sing, Let's Get Married, was is just joyful. It's in a pub and it's just such, such fun. And, it and, really and, is. And the, I'm not sure how you say this word, the denouement, the denouement. Yeah, denouement. The, the, oh, sorry, the denouement, the denouement of the of the of let's get married is just so British. It's like it's you wouldn't get that in a fifties Hollywood musical. <laughs> no, the, the way it the way it ends, scores, yeah. the, the way it ends is just so it it's it's this is just sort of like a British musical in almost every sense of the world and probably more 
more specific it's a very scottish musical yeah i think it's the scottishness adds to it as well and it's before the referendum when it was made and there's the any element of conflict is between the nurse that that i can't remember his name the main george Mackay's character he, she's English and yeah. she is at one point she's talking about moving back to England and for him he's a Scotsman it was like no <laughs> I'm not moving to England and the fact that she's sort of of Asian or of ethnicity yeah. never is never mentioned once yeah. so the only conflict is about the fact that she's English not that the colour never is and I loved that about the film that no one ever mentioned anything about race or about colour it was only about being Scottish and English yeah. and in the end it was like you know okay I will walk 500 miles to be with you <laughs> even if it's 500 miles into England you're yeah, like yeah, you figured I had to figure we had to fit this word, this song in somewhere it's the yeah. biggest proclaimer song <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a bit guilty I must say I haven't seen this film Oh, yeah. I'm not a Proclaimers fan. I'm sorry. I, oh. I know. I know that's a terrible thing to say, and I'll probably be pilloried. But I, 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 no, I that's can, what put me off. <laughs> I can. I can understand how every how the Proclaimers are not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, but I think I think Sean I think you'd like this. The you thing think that, I would? Yeah. I think there's bits of it that you'd like. A bit like you know how in the Blues Brothers you like the Don't you say? Uh, yeah, yeah. I reckon there's bits of this that that will really sort of like come out. And like, I remember there's this one scene that my wife and I love, and it's the bit where they're working to the pub when they've come back from Afghanistan, and they're going to meet um, his sister and yeah. her friend. And his friend is like, Don't worry, she's got a friend. She's got a friend. And it's like, Why don't you tell me there's something wrong with her? And he goes, oh, Well. She is English and he walks off. <laughs> and he kind of just stops and he goes, English! <laughs> it's just that, that, was a, that was the good Scottish accent. That. Do that again, English. It's just where he, gets, he just looks at her and he goes, English! <laughs> the look on his face of disgust. Like, what the heck? Yeah, that's <laughs> the biggest, yeah, the biggest obstacle ever. Yeah. And so, no, uh, uh, I, it's a, it's a, I think the film is well, like when it's called Sunshine and Leith, and the film is kind of, I think they, when they filmed the, because I've been around Edinburgh, I know some of the locations where they filmed this film, and the, it's a love song to Edinburgh as well, isn't it? It's, it is really is a love song to Edinburgh. They might they might have to find the one sunny day of the year yeah. to it's film always... the final dance scene in front of like the Edinburgh Library and everything like that, and it just looks awesome. It just, and I'm thinking that's how you do a musical without trying to be American. It yes. Just, it yeah, just... I'm 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 really guilty of some of those type of movies. I haven't seen Philomena either. Me neither. I, I haven't seen Philomena. I, I, I really want to see that. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I missed it at the cinema yeah. and I just haven't been able to find it since. And I haven't seen Eddie the Eagle. I'm hoping to see that before it leaves. <laughs> I would recommend it. It was, uh, It's warm-hearted and it's, it's a nice film. Yeah. But I think it's one of those things, yeah, I think it's like, I like English films and I've always liked English films and I like to hear my culture reflected back or to see my culture reflected back at me even though I'm not Scottish but I like that whole Britishness you know, we're all cousins aren't we in the end of the day oh, yeah. what about and what about 60s British movies do you like them like Billy oh, the Liar Ealing, the Ealing comedies no no not the comedies I mean we're talking that. about northern dramas like no um, going way back I, yeah. I like nearly all English R- films Room even at the if Top and films like that yeah, I just like to see my culture. We're going to do. We're going to do that on the show. Then I we should. We do. should. Yeah, I we should get we should some do. English ones out because, quite frankly, yeah. I am not that aware yeah. of sixties British, British cinema. No, because no. I mean, you got what Ipcrest File, and there's loads. There's, there's some really, really a, classics. Georgie Pardon? Girl. Yeah, Georgie. We haven't done any of that. Many of no. those. We, that's they what have we're a look do. about them, and I think yeah, they yeah. They, they, they do appeal to me because I think as much as I love American cinema and world cinema for that matter well, there's something cinema, about yeah. hearing your own accent isn't it on screen and seeing places that you know it's have, just have you ever seen thing. The Taste of Honey have you ever seen that that know. the name sounds familiar but I don't think I, I've never seen yeah, it yeah that's that's quite interesting it's um as I say that that 60s period that 
sixties British cinema is you know it's 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 really gritty. Up the Junction, another film. Never seen so, it. No, right. I mean, so we'll have to program that in for a future show. show but that yeah. was my choice as an exception to the rule: Sunshine on Lease. And I think Tosin would agree with me. It's worth checking out because it is just a joyful, joyful couple of hours, and you will find yourself humming them even if you don't like the Kramer's songs. So if, if you could put it on a scale, what would you scale Mamma Mia and Sunshine on Leaf? Because I wasn't I, particularly I, I liked, with Mamma Mia. I liked Mamma Mia, so, right. but I would say this was above Mamma Mia. This is above. well above Mamma yeah. Mia. I would sort of it's give a it much a, better film. Out of 10, I'd probably give Sunshine on Leaf sort of 8. Yeah, I'll give it an 8 it's out of 10. Good recommendation then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's well above Mamma Mia. They actually, because I think Mamma Mia, they kind of knew... Look, it's a it's a romp. We're gonna put Meryl Streep in it. It's gonna make a whole bunch of money anyway. Sunshine and Leith. I love the way that they've put a storyline that's very sort of recent in there, yeah. it, it, because the film is it's not escapist. It that's that's one of the things about like first Mamma Mia's escapist. Yes, yeah, Sunshine fantasy. and Leith is not escapist. It's very real, and the fact that they may, might make it very real, but still make a musical out of it and still put. That's so. I just think it's a it's a very very and even though they deal with all these real issues as to like you know are we going to get married why shouldn't we get married even though I love you what uh, and, and, uh, it's why like, isn't it enough why yeah. is yeah why isn't it enough um okay uh, we love each other but I want to be back home but this is where I come from and they do all these things and at the end of the film it still gives leaves you with this massive love feel good uplift yeah. of a thing but then again that's Dexter Fletcher he's, <laughs> yeah he's got a gift. Um. <laughs> But we have come to that point in the show where we have to bid our folks farewell. Aww, so we'll wish you all to get well soon, listen to your doctors, be good to yourselves and to one another, and we'll wish you well for the next time. Bye. Bye.